Welcome to another episode of Founder Focus. I'm your host, Andrew Amaduri, and today we're sitting down with Mark Katrovsky. Mark is a co-founder of Mirror Coffee Roasters based out of Bellingham, Washington. If the name doesn't give it away, it's a coffee roasting business. It's like, it's literally in the name. In today's episode, Mark will give us a crash course on everything we need to know to start our own coffee roasting business, as well as some great insight on how to create authentic content, which is key nowadays for growing a strong customer base and also happens to be what Mark does when he's not roasting coffee. This episode is jam-packed full of other great business building tips, but before we get started, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Mark, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for joining. So you are the founder and owner of Mirror Coffee Roasters. Tell me a little bit about your work life before you started the company. Yeah, so before starting the company, I already had kind of a company or business going. I do a lot of video production work. And over the last, I guess, shortly before going into the coffee roasting company, it's kind of shifted towards video production content and also like social media stuff. And that's, I've been doing that for kind of started 10 years ago, just starting to learn. And for the coffee roasting company, uh, we started about three and a half years ago. So hopefully that gives you like a timeline as to where things kind of started to overlap. At what point did you go, huh, coffee roasting, that seems interesting. Yeah, actually, I uh, year, years before even starting the coffee roasting company, I got into, into coffee as kind of like a hobby, as kind of like an interest. I encountered like really spectacular coffee that tasted unlike anything I was drinking at the time. It was a little better than Folgers. Yeah, <laughs> which is what I'm used to drinking, you know, like it's like wh- whatever your parents have in your in the pantry or whatever. And usually it's not good stuff. Yeah. And so I, I went ahead and just started getting into it a little bit. Got a barista job like part-time, worked at a coffee roasting company part-time. And that was when like over time you're like, man, I would want to do this a little more. And I'm really kind of captivated by this. And long story short, you know, over time, my brother moved back to the state. And uh, he was also into it. And we're like, hey, let's just give it a shot and see what happens. You'd already had experience building your own business. And so you're like, okay, let's go launch this coffee roasting company. What were the first steps that you took? I guess I, I would preface the first steps also being the two, three years of work experience that I had before starting of like working at a roasting company. Would you recommend somebody looking to start their own coffee roasting company take that same approach? A hundred percent. I would actually recommend, you know, everybody in general, like if you're considering going into a business, it's free education to go work for somebody, get trained, see the ins and outs, you know, get your, get your fee wet a little bit with the, with the skill, what it takes, and then going into it. Like it's, you're literally learning on somebody else's dime, let alone they're actually paying you. So that's like the best form of education. So yeah, if you're starting a roasting company, anything in coffee, but also just anything, go and go and try it out. You know, it's better to try it out and then realize it's not for me and having lost nothing as opposed to diving into something head first and then realizing, crap, you know, when I'm thousands of dollars in, I don't think this is worth it for me. 
So the first steps were really getting exposed to a coffee roasting company, working as a barista. Now, once you decided it was time to launch the business, how did you go about building a business plan out? Yeah, well, to be honest, completely transparent, it was, it was a very entrepreneurial, like bootstrapped process without like the cookie cutter, hey, here's like a 10 step plan of how we're going to make a million dollars in our first year. It was like, okay, listen, I have a little bit of experience as to how to build a business and kind of some of the things that go into it. Um, we kind of talked about, you know, what are the startup costs? What are the logistical things that you just need to get away, get like get through that is? Because I, I think I'd, I'd separate, you know, there's two kinds of things in, in starting a business is, you know, you have your startup costs, your very practical, logistical, technical things. And then it's the, the other side where it's like, okay, thinking about how do we, you know, reach our target demographic what do we what are the product that we're going to sell all those things and so uh, off the bat i'm like okay how much money do i need what are the licensing all the technical aspects that need to go into and how do we knock that out first and get get ready to launch let's run through those pieces the initial startup cost how much was it and where did that money go yeah so again this is uh, this this might not be a traditional route out, but uh, the best thing about starting a roasting company is that it's much more affordable than starting, for example, a storefront cafe. So we don't have a storefront cafe. It's kind of we roast out of like a manufacturing facility, and then we we just ship. And so all of a sudden, then that brought the cost down to like our biggest expense was a coffee roaster. Um, the machine that we bought was around thirty five thousand dollars, and so that was the bulk of it. And then you needed kind of, you know, more of like the supplies of it is like, hey, you need a coffee grinder that cost us like $3,000. You need, you know, utensils, bowls, cups, maybe a coffee machine so you can kind of do your QC with. Uh, those are already like much more affordable things. You know, you need your production table and a sealer and stuff like that. Uh, so I think the bulk of it was really just getting the machine to to start roasting. So I think everything came out to being at the end of the day, if I'm not mistaken, maybe $50,000 with a little bit of like, like a remodel to our space. Now, when it came to permits and licensing, what does that look like? Yeah. So again, untraditional, we decided, Hey, what, like we're actually, we had a few resources available at hand. Like my parents own like a good chunk of land out in the County. And I've seen this done already where people have, have created small businesses out in the county where permitting, licensing, and all, the, all that jargon is so much less strict. And so as long as you know your facility is, meets up to code with like, I, I forgot what it's called, but it's like a facility check that you need. Um, yeah, an inspection type thing. Yeah, very, very simple, very easy. We don't have, we don't necessarily need like a, like a food handler thing because we're not consuming food. We're not selling like edible food in the space and, and just making sure like nobody, we're not disturbing anybody. So all of that was very, very simple to get, to get up and running. And actually we, when we asked some, some, you know, the local officials, the county, they're like, 
Yeah, we, we know like of a few people that have done this, but I don't think we have like a strict regiment, you know, strict rule for how to do this. Just make sure you're not causing havoc to, you know, anybody in, you know, in the surrounding areas. And you're going, we're roasting coffee beans. Life is easy. We're good. <laughs> yeah. And no questions asked. I'm okay. I've heard enough. So. So quick tip for anyone, go start your coffee roasting business out far in the countryside. <laughs> yeah, which it comes with, with a few difficulties, but it worked for the time being. So. so you've got the permits and licensing or what little bit you actually needed. You have all your equipment. How did you determine where you wanted to source your beans from? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think being in the part of the industry that we're in, so for some context for folks, we're kind of in the part of the industry that I would liken to say like like a wine connoisseur uh, part of the industry where things are very strict, very peculiar. They need to be scoring within a specific range and all that jazz. And so essentially just having that already strictness and specificity, that already narrowed down who we can source coffee from and where where those coffees will be coming from. But beyond that, I, my, I also had some relationships already built with some green coffee importers and exporters. My brother also had some relationships built uh, before that in his time in coffee. And so we kind of just wrote out those relationships, made a few new ones for a pretty simple startup launch with the coffees that we're, we're, we're serving. Some of those importers and exporters work with one or two origins. Like where we work with an importing company that um, sells to us that sells only Guatemalan coffees. Another importing company that sells only Ethiopian coffees. Um, and they do really, really excellent work. They know exactly what they're doing. They're dialed in on their processes. That makes my life easier because I can trust that for the most part, it's going to be pretty good. And I just need to pick out what what I think is best out of already what's good, you know? And so, yeah, that's that was kind of our our approach there. When it comes to the supply chain on the back end of getting the coffee bean from its source to you and your team at the roastery, what does that look like? Yeah, a lot of that looks like, once again, um, for just like some brief context for those listening, you have, you know, coffee growing at origin at the farm, which then once after it gets processed, it's then getting ready for export. Then you have exporters, people who you know, companies that facilitate the logistics leaving the country. And then you have importers, people who are on the receiving end, uh, who receive the coffee into the country and then take care of like where they should be storing the coffee and then taking care of the logistics from say the storage warehouse to the roastery itself. So yeah, so that that's kind of like a, br a broad overview of like that that process. Our job then is to figure out, okay, which importers align with our values and which importers have what we have so that they, I mean, they can just take care of everything else that comes before that. And we just need to receive the coffee. And um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Once the coffee hits the roastery, what steps do you guys take? Yeah, this is, this is where, you know, kind of like the, the fun, the fun parts happens, but also the really challenging part. The magic part. happens. Yeah, the magic. Yeah. So when we, when we bring it in, we're, I guess, going through our like dial-in process of getting a coffee into the roastery and uh, going through a few roasts 
and then just tasting it and seeing seeing what ta- what's tasting good what do we what kind of adjustments we need to make in the roasting process to get it to where we want to be this process can sometimes be really quick with some coffees that are a little more challenging and giving us a little bit more of a harder time to get exactly where we want to be it can take slightly longer but it's a lot of like we do a roast then we taste it a few days later then we go back to the drawing board do a roast evaluate it so a lot of trial and error until until it lands exactly where we want it to be so once you've got the roast down how do you approach the next part of the supply chain the distribution because do you guys target individual customers do you target retail do you target wholesale yeah that's a that's a great question a lot of what we're talking well we mostly want to be targeting direct to consumer so literally somebody showing up to our website we're shipping the coffee straight to their home and from a business standpoint i think that's the best way to do it that is core uh but then that may take more time to build out because you need to build trust with your consumer and your consumer is most likely buying maybe a few bags a month which is very different than say like the wholesale model where you know a cafe an office or you know a local church or whatever they could buy maybe you know 50 50 pounds in a week or 20 pounds in a week which is much much like greater volumes than say somebody going on your side and buying a bag However, on that side, I also need to note that then you're selling them at wholesale cost, which diminishes your margins. So I think finding a balance is very important. That's, and that's kind of the balance that we've always looked for from the beginning, but it's still a continuing process. I mean, that's, that's really just also the basics of just like scaling your business. You know, you need to find more customers and hopefully there's a little bit of direct to consumer, a little bit of wholesale that can balance each other out and keep you busy. So, yeah. When a customer places an order, what's the process of getting the beans from your roastery to that customer? Yeah, we run our entire store off of Shopify. Shopify is excellent. It's a very easy to use platform, but also very nuanced, has everything you need. And so an order will come through, we'll get notified, and we can print the label straight out of Shopify. We already have kind of our packaging dialed in and kind of shipping costs laid out and stuff. And so, and that's something also really important to note is building out systems that can streamline your entire process. So you're not relearning how to ship coffee every time an order comes in, you know? And so we, we've ironed out that system for us. So, you know, order comes in, we print the label, packages of coffee in the packaging, and then it's good to go for, you know, shipment out of either USPS or UPS. And yeah, it's very, very simple. What has your approach as a coffee roastery been for marketing? Yeah. So marketing for us has been a lot of social media, a lot of social media. So posting content on Instagram, starting our YouTube channel. We also have a podcast so that's been that's been huge. Um, What's the name of the podcast for people listening? Yeah, it's called uh, the Coffee Roaster Warm Up Sessions. Um, or if you just type in Mirror Coffee Roasters, like Mirror Reflection Mirror, I always need to clarify that. Uh, but like M I R R O R, and it'll it'll show up. I mean, hopefully it'll show up. That means we're doing a good job at the marketing aspects. <laughs> um, <laughs> It does. I tested it beforehand. Okay, thank God. And so, so yeah, I, the social media has been has been a huge one. I mean, that's where people live. That's where 
people's attention span is. That's where people learn. That's where people meet friends, meet new people. That's where people communicate with existing friends. That's where people, you know, dive into their hobbies, everything. Like that's where almost like people live in the virtual world. And so we want to be where people are and where they're already, you know, attentive and where their focus is. And so we've done a lot of mostly just social media, but also working with some people who have some influence in the industry and partnering with them on um, fun little fun little things to expand our reach. So how does someone approach partnering with a coffee influencer? Yeah, that's a really great question. Let's see here. I think, you know, somebody else might give you a different answer. But for me, across the board, even with our entire business is we want to be relational and relationship is a huge aspect. So I try to steer away from, you know, just having a transactional thing with an influencer where I want to build a relationship with them. I want to jump on a few calls. I want to be able to connect with them, making sure they align with with our values and our values align with them. I want them to be passionate about what we do and not just be like, hey, we're going to pay you or hey, we're just going to send you some free product and you're going to be forced to say something good about it. Like, you know, and so a lot of the people that we've worked with, we've actually first became friends with them over, you know, the internet. And then after becoming friends with them, we're like, hey, like we're launching this. Do you want to partner along and see if we can work together? And most of the time, they're very pumped about it. They're excited. Sometimes they're like, hey, like we usually charge brands X, Y, and Z. For you guys, you know, we'll we'll maybe charge a little less because because we've just we've just become friends over time, you know. So that's my approach. It doesn't have to be, you know, anyone's approach. I know a lot of people are very more like, hey, let's just you know, send out a hundred emails, attract a bunch of people, send out product and call it good and to get the ball rolling. I don't know. It's a different approach, but. Do you have any strategies for content creation around your company and brand? Oh man, uh, this is like a can of worms because this is what I do for all brands. Uh, <laughs> That's why I asked it. I'm like the content creator who opened up his own coffee roastery. All right, this is going to be a gold mine. So let loose. Yeah. Oh man. I think I think I think to start off with not every business owner. I I just happen to be I think lucky that this is kind of my repertoire or my expertise, but a lot of business owners are there to either just start a business cuz they want to run a business. They're entrepreneurial or they they just in this case they just like coffee and they want to start a coffee business. So you probably won't be naturally gifted at creating content and telling stories for the internet. And so right off the bat, I would just say just start doing something. Get your reps in, practice. It won't be great at first and realizing that also this social media and content creation is a skill that you need to build that takes a lot of time. This is not like you're not going to make one post and all of a sudden have a flood of sales the next day. That it's not how it works. You're actually building a community and oftentimes this takes lots of time, months and months and sometimes years to build up. But the good thing is like once you build that up, then you have a really committed audience that actually cares about what you're selling. And that's always going to be so much more beneficial than you just either throwing some money into some marketing to get the transaction, to get the one-off sale. When you build an audience and people that actually care about you, and of course you have to care about them, um, 
it, this whole thing changes. Like business in general just really takes a turn for the better. And so I would say number one is really just start, try to do your best, create content around what you're doing. And hopefully you love what you're doing because if you love what you're doing, it gets a little easier to talk about something you're already passionate about. Like that's that's huge. And if you're not passionate about it, I would say like maybe reconsider your your business venture or or hire somebody that's really passionate about what they're doing so that they could actually take on that responsibility and be really good at it. You know, and that's the, also the second thing is like if you if this is just so out of your comfort zone and you just feel awkward and it's not working and it, maybe it's time to find somebody that maybe it's a local barista at your cafe, or maybe it's your first hire, or maybe you have a friend that is like, hey, I kind of interested in starting this social media stuff. And I just want like, like a case study to do. Like, ask them like, hey, would you want to go get maybe paid a little, you know, a little lower just to experiment with with what you have, but then also giving them experience and a way to grow so that way there's like a win-win but yeah and i think also lastly i'd say is not to overwhelm people with too much information but like lastly just be be authentic be genuine be yourself there's so much cookie cutter stuff out there where people do want to see you what are you doing what what's interesting about you as a person or what's interesting about what you're doing with Either you're a coffee roasting company or a cafe, or maybe you started like a small little coffee cart. What's interesting about that? And highlight some of those unique differences that are very unique to exactly who you are. That's the gold mine because that's what sets you apart from everybody else rather than just trying to do what, you know, everybody else is doing. So those are some great tips. And I have to ask this. What type of posts on Instagram have you found to have the most engagement, the most genuine, authentic engagement? Man, it's a very good question. First off, it's kind of hard to tell because sometimes what you didn't think would perform really well all of a sudden does really well. And then stuff you spent like three days on, it just like nobody likes it. <laughs> Story of my life. Yes. The one thing you throw out there is just kind of like, okay, you know what? I have to keep up consistency. And you're still being authentic, but you go, all right, this isn't going to pull much reach. Next thing you know, it's the one video that goes viral. Yes. And actually, I think, I think there's even something to say about that. There's something to learn about that. Because the stuff that you're like literally overthinking, having to, you know, put like pull, you have to pull teeth to make happen. And like a lot of stuff gets lost in that, the authenticity, the genuineness, which I think kind of gets communicated i don't know how maybe it's like metaphysical where people just feel that and it just it doesn't feel comfortable for them where i think the stuff that you know like we mentioned like the stuff that you're like yeah like i'm just gonna post this i'm not like really feeling it but it just feels natural to me to just do it catches on you know but that, that being said you know going back to your question i think the posts that have done well are things that are very uh, genuine and open and authentic. Um, you know, so, some people, yeah, I, I, I'm part of like a coffee business owner group on Facebook. And I remember somebody posting like, man, nobody likes my stuff on Instagram. And it's like, they blame it on the algorithm, algorithm stuff. And 
But then like they made a post that, hey, we're closing one of our stores down. And then they got insane amount of traction. And they're like, why does this happen? And I'm like, yeah, it happens because people care about that. And you never talked about that. People actually care that you're going out of business. They don't care about your, you know, I don't know, their new, your new summer drink. It's just not, maybe might not be that enticing. But the genuineness of like, hey, we're sorry to, you know, we're sorry to, to say that we're closing down. Like there's some emotion there. There's some, there's some, like it feels human. It feels natural. And I think a lot of the posts that I've posted that have done well, even just saying like, there's one post I did shot on my phone, no edits, no nothing. And I shoot on like five, $6,000 camera setups. I shot it on my phone and was like, hey, I just wanted to tell you guys, thank you so much for like always buying coffee. And it was just like, a picture of like a table full of coffee bags ready to be sealed. And people just loved it. And I'm like, but why? Right. You look over at your Canon C70 with a $6,000 lens and like, a you know, you got a Ronin gimbal, you got all the equipment. And then you look at your little iPhone, a couple gens, you know, out of date. And you're like, how? How? But that speaks volumes to what you said about authenticity and just being like, look, this is us. We enjoy what we're doing. Here's what we have to offer. And here's our life. 100%. And at the end of the day, realizing also like, and this, this will go with how you sell your coffee. If you're starting a coffee roasting company, how you do your marketing, everything. It's like realizing that when you're running a business, you're working with people and people are people. You have to be a good people person to to do well, you know, and knowing how to connect with people and resonate with them. And yeah, that's that's core right there. You spoke to how important authenticity is and openness, transparency when you're posting on social media and when you're marketing yourself. How do you authentically market yourself as different from the competition while maintaining your integrity? Yeah. Well in in coffee specifically, I think it's a little easier to do, especially with, especially with kind of my background in, in, uh, you know, content creation, video production. A lot of, a lot of coffee brands actually lack that bit of creativity and that push to, to create and share stories on, you know, social media and do things a little differently. Like, for example, like I can count on my, you know, just two hands, how many coffee podcasts there are. And a lot of, and a lot of them actually, when they start, they start off strong, but it's really hard to keep going and keep up the consistency and get into it a hundred episodes in. And it's like, there's also like, not just coffee, but also like the, there's like a statistic that if you post weekly, a podcast, you're like already in the top, like 15% of podcasts. So that consistency. Yeah. And if you make it past, I think like something, something very low, like if you make it past like 10 episodes, that automatically puts you in the top 1%. And there are millions of podcasts out there, but it's that consistency. And I think having a strong love for what you do shows through in that. Mm -hmm. 100%. And with, I mean, in the coffee industry, we realized, hey, there are no podcasts that are consistently bringing out fresh information and I was like, hey, when I was starting the coffee roasting company, I wish there was a podcast 
like the one that we created so that I could listen and learn from. And there just wasn't. Not anything at least that resonated. There was like one or two, but then that was very inconsistent, their posting. And so that's like a clear example of like, we just came in and said, hey, this needs to change. And it's both authentic to us because both my brother and I love talking, love the podcast format. We love talking about coffee. And it's very different than what everybody else is doing. What tips do you have for people who are trying to differentiate themselves and kind of going against the grain of the industry with an idea that they really feel is strong, even when other people are saying, you might want to pull back. No one else is doing that, but they know in their heart that's the right direction. That's a very good question. There's a lot of, a lot, a lot of places my mind is going um, on top of being like authentic again. Um, that keeps coming up, but also uh, entrepreneurship and running a business in general, I think is so full of failures. And I think, and I resonate with this side, but also like naturally I'm a perfectionist. I want things to be perfect. I want things to look the best. I want to be the best. I like all these things. But over time, I've realized the perfectionism actually destroys and limits your creativity and limits your innovation skills. You're not as innovative if you don't ever do anything because you're waiting for the perfect idea. And you have one perfect idea a year, which actually ends up being like 90% perfect, not even perfect to begin with. And so I think a lot of, especially small business owners, maybe and entrepreneurs and business owners, that fear of failure of something not happening and they need to only do the best ideas that are going to you know change everything for them oftentimes you don't just they don't just come to you because you know you're just waiting on them actually like you have to fail like 99 times to have that one idea that pops off and it changes everything but to have the audacity to experiment and try is so hard but the, I mean, this is literally like running a business. It's like packed with failure, but but in the process of failing, of innovating, of trying something new, you're actually, what's happening is you're also knowing A, what doesn't work, but also B, you're training yourself and your muscles and your brain to look for new ideas in places that you might not naturally lean towards for ideas. And so some you know, some, some advice would be like, don't be afraid to try something new. Actually, try a lot of things new and then also keep your ears and eyes open for what's maybe gaining a little traction and then double down on that. You try a hundred things, you realize five of them are like decent traction and then you capitalize on those five things and then you re rinse and repeat that system. Let's say out of the five things, there are two things that are doing exceptionally well. Then you focus in on those two things. And then that builds a lot of feedback also. I think that's the other, that's the one other thing probably I'll leave it at is being able to be open to feedback and seeing how people are responding to what you're doing um, as a metric of if it's working or not, you know, and being also quick to adjust on the fly to what is working and what isn't working. What you just said about success through multiple failures and finding those key items that are just outperforming the rest and sticking to them. 
What are some examples in the past three years of building your coffee roasting company that you've found to be successful? Oh, man. <laughs> Here's the, I'll tell you, there's a lot of failures in there. But in terms of successes, hmm, I think, I think over the last three and a half years, we've dialed in our, mostly a lot of it is on the roasting process. We've dialed in a lot of our roasting, sourcing, and that entire system to be more streamlined and tightened up so we can actually limit waste in our, you know, green coffee we have to throw away because it's aged too long, it's sat around too long, or, you know, other kinds of waste that are actually bringing in, like, lowering your margins at the end of the day. And so we've, through trying, through failing, through learning, like, we've dialed that in so much, but also our quality has skyrocketed also simply that's just through trial and error it's trying new things experimenting we've we we have a we consult we have a cons like a coffee consultant that's he's world class he's one of the best in in the world like written multiple books he's legendary and he's he's helping us you know guide guide our way through this roasting thing and dialing it in to be absolutely exceptional like we have a community here of very close people to us in the coffee industry that have also given their feedback into this that has changed the game for us. And so those are those are more kind of like how we've refined our product to to be really exceptional and something that I full heartedly stand behind. Like I have uh I like I don't shy away from saying like we have something exceptional actually. To offer the world, so that's been that's been a work in progress, and um, yeah, I think I think we've also figured out we've also built systems over time that have helped manage workloads and how we how we run the business in general. Can you share some examples of those systems? Some examples would be like having a system in terms of both. I, I, once again, I run a separate business as well and figuring out, okay, how do we build a system that, that both works really well with my schedule, that is both efficient, effective, but also serves the customer. Like I don't want, because I'm busy, I don't want my customer to be feeling the effects of me, my busyness and my schedule. So how do we build out a set schedule where, hey, we're maybe roasting on these days and that gives us two days to make sure we do our QC and make sure things are tasting right before we ship it off and then realizing, and then we're also thinking like, how long does shipping take from the time it leaves our roastery to get to their home and how long do they have, how, how much time do they have to drink the coffee so that the last cup of coffee that they have is still considered fresh and will still taste good. And so we also know when each coffee tastes best at in terms of after it's ro been roasted and when it starts to actually decline in quality. And so we've built out our schedule, even our, our roasting, our quality control process, our shipping system to all so that it works with our busy schedules, but also it prioritizes the customer at the end of the day. That's an incredible eye for detail basing your system around not only your schedule, but the customer's schedule for enjoying your product. And I think that's a 
takeaway that a lot of businesses, even outside of coffee roasting, could utilize. This is definitely 100% like applicable to even outside of outside of coffee. It just may look a little different, but yeah. I love coffee. I decide I'm going to start my own coffee roasting business because the startup costs are a little bit more affordable. My guess is the profit margins are a little bit higher compared to market cafe. What are the key tips you would give somebody looking to start their own business in coffee roasting? Yeah, I think number one, I would say, which is what I've already mentioned is, hey, go and work for somebody if you have the chance to. Go and work at a cafe or roastery for maybe a year. Not that long of a time, but it's also going to give you enough feel for it. And you're actually going to learn a lot. So you don't have to, you can learn on somebody else's mistakes and on somebody else's systems and processes before, you know, starting straight from scratch. That's huge. That's, that's a really big one. Secondly, I would say is actually two, two more things I would add. The first one would be look for, surround yourself with people who have already done what you've done, what you, what you want to do. So whether that's a local coffee community that you need to get plugged into, so you can learn from other business owners or reach out to receive coffee consul- consulting or consultations. And I know for a lot of people who are just starting off, it may seem daunting. Like, do I really need to pay this consultant to talk to me? You know, his or her rate, you know, like it feels like an extra expense. But listen, their knowledge and their expertise and what they've already lived through is going to save you more money in the long term. At least it should. A good consultant should save you more money in the long term, in the long haul, than if you were to just start with with nothing and just learn on your own dime. Yeah, and I think there was one more thing I wanted to add. I think also when you're calculating your startup costs, I'd say give yourself like an extra 20% buffer um, because, because I think oftentimes we, we undervalue how many times, how, how much money we need and resources we need to start something up. What's been the most valuable lesson you've learned since starting your business? I I don't know. If, I don't know if there's maybe one particular um, thing I learned that I that I that I'd say. I think there's a lot of learning that happens, and I think that's the thing that I've learned is that <laughs> is that you have to be flexible. You have to be optimistic. You have to be open to learning. And realize that you know a lot, but you don't know everything. And there's a lot more that you don't know of than what you do know. And I think that's applicable also everywhere in life. You have to keep this like learning, humble attitude and being coachable and being flexible and being also optimistic to to changes, to moving along if you're always rigid stuck in your ways you know really hard to work with and afraid of change that's that's probably not going to work for you (laughs) so that's probably what i would say mark thank you so much for joining for today's episode you have had so many incredible nuggets of information and it's been a true pleasure Dude, Andrew, thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure getting to know you a little bit, even outside the podcast and also having this discussion. So thank you so much. If you found value in today's episode, please let us know by leaving us a good review and sharing this with other business builders to help them in their journey. 
You can find us on Instagram at Founder Focus, where you can stay up to date with new episode releases, get clips, helpful insight. You can check out our YouTube channel at Founder Focus Podcast, where you can find clips from different episodes. And we look forward to seeing you next time.